You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Matt Dixon. And Matt is co-author of The Challenger Sale. Uh, he's also Chief Product and Research Officer at Tether. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But I'm excited for this. Matt has been in the whole kind of how to run sales, how to make sales effective sales strategy for a while. I've read his stuff for a long time. A lot of things that I've used in, in my businesses and the businesses that I've worked with has been highly effective. So I'm really excited for this conversation, excited to learn more with that. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce. Thanks very much for inviting me. So why don't we, we actually kind of go back to um, your story and kind of your background. Before Challenger Sale, before you got into this space of being a thought leader in, in this area, what was your background? What, what got you into looking at sales, looking at sales effectiveness, looking at customer service and all of those things? What's the backstory? Yeah, really just uh, dumb luck, actually. It was, um, I was studying, I went right from college into a PhD program. I was actually uh, training to be an academic. So I went to uh, get my PhD in political economy, uh, which has very little to do with uh, sales and and service effectiveness, as you know. But what it did teach me, and I think I kind of got as I was maybe two thirds of the way through, I sort of soured on the idea of being a, a college professor for the rest of my life. And my yeah. research and my interest started to veer more towards business. And actually, I started shifting from the political science and econ department, started taking more classes over at the business school and got you know more into how companies make decisions and, and why they do the things they do and how they can improve their operations and in effectiveness and uh, customer experience. And so that sort of led me to after I left, I finished up my degree. And after I left, I decided I I either wanted to go into consulting or kind of for-profit research, which led me to a company called CEB, which was acquired a couple of years ago by Gardner Group. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I when I joined, we were maybe two hundred something people. When I left, we were like five thousand people. Yeah. So it was uh, I was there for eighteen years, and um, I started. It was basically CEB was a for-profit think tank. So we did. Uh, research for companies on sales and customer service and legal and HR and finance and you know Got you it. name it. And um, I came in. I actually started in our IT research group, which was probably a bad fit just because I could barely <laughs> operate my own computer. So, well, maybe so, the perfect fit if you're on the research side. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. And I I shifted from there. I did a, a tour in our new product development group for a few years, and then when I went back to the research business, I started running our contact center and customer service practice. I did that for a couple of years, and then I picked up our sales practice. And so I had sales and service then really for, I guess that that was back in 2005, 2006, and right up until when I left CB in 2017, I had those practice areas. And I, towards the end, I picked up our financial services vertical as well. So, you know, again, it was 
sort of a circuitous journey, but but I will say, looking back on my experience, the, the most fun I had and the most interesting area and the things that really resonated with me were around sales effectiveness and customer service. And I, I think for the the reason is that it's such a relatable thing for all of us. I and mean, yeah. we've all in business, we've all had experiences good and bad with uh, salespeople. And then as consumers, we've had experiences, I would say largely bad uh, with customer service organizations and call centers. And there's just, it's, there's a, it's such a data-based uh, world. Yeah. But the irony I think is that there's very little data-based research done. You know, it's, it's funny, Neil Rackham once told me one of his big regrets in his career, and he was kind of on a quest and, and still is to sort of change this, mm-hmm. is that there's very little science in very little quantitative research done of around selling, even though it's such a metrics-driven and numbers-driven function. It's yeah. a, a lot of what's out there around sales tends to be a lot of personal opinion kind of stuff. And the same is true of, of customer service and customer experience. There's just a lot of conventional wisdom. There's a lot of anecdotal kind of wisdom and advice passed around, but very few organizations out there are actually bringing data to bear to test assumptions and say, hey, we've always believed X. Is that actually true? Does it actually benefit our customers? Does it benefit our business? Is that what our best salespeople or our best service reps actually do? And so I've always been very careful when I've been out there talking about sales or service. Say, look, I'm not a salesperson. Um, mm-hmm. I join a lot of sales calls, so, but uh, <laughs> as a product guy, um, but I and, and nor am I a service professional. But I I bring a lot of research to to bear, and a lot of what we've done. You know, Challenger is a great example is not us kind of imposing a point of view and saying, hey, we think you should sell this way, but instead studying what actual best salespeople are doing. And then we just gave a name to it and, and wrapped a story around it. Yeah. But I always say, look, I didn't invent this stuff. Your best salespeople were already doing this and we just, we discovered it and yeah. we gave a name to it. So yeah. that's a really good point. I think, I think it's very true. We, we, use a lot of analytics and metrics and measures to manage sales, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we don't use a lot of them to really sort of diagnose and figure out what, what's yeah. really happening and what's working, what's not working and why, and how do we mm-hmm. you know, recreate it in, in a, from a positive point of view. Yeah. So let's talk about Challenger a little bit. I think you know, sure. it's something we've talked about on the program a couple of different times in different ways, but um, mm-hmm. I, why don't we sort of go back a little bit and understand that the, kind of the research or, or the the why Challenger, the, kind of the Challenger sale concept was birthed and what was the process right. and how you got to the book? Like what what was the situation that you saw that led to the, the idea of doing this kind of research and, and identifying these kind of sales types or sales situations? Yeah, it was. Um, so back in 2007, that was there was a, a little bit of, um, I would say, almost a prequel to, to Challenger. So we did the, the research around Challenger. We actually did in uh, 2008 and we debuted it in the spring of 2009. So you can imagine that was a, yeah. a really tough time to be in sales. Right. Yeah. People were not spending a lot of money. And so I think we um, there was a we did a prequel kind of study the year before where we sort of stumbled on this notion. We were out studying a bunch of things, but we stumbled on this idea that uh, and it was a little bit of a head scratcher to us that what customers were really looking for from the suppliers they do business with was a great sales experience. And specifically, they were looking for a sales experience that brought new ideas to the table, um, brought insights to the table. And it was it was interesting to us because we had we'd gone out to study. It was a study of customer B2B customer loyalty that we did. And we were we had hypothesized that sales mattered more than most companies give it credit for. You know, m- most most companies would say, well, it's all about the product differentiation. It's all about the brand. It's about the price. And what we actually found, if you recall from the book, is that actually 53% of business customer loyalty was a 
function of sales. So it's actually yeah. more a function of, of how you sell, not what you sell. And the reality is in a world where many suppliers, their their offerings are seen as kind of commodities by the customer. And, yeah. and not in really a bad way, but if you look at the, the companies who make the shortlist and any solution selling or complex sales effort, they're all pretty you know, pretty compelling suppliers offering really great solutions. Some are a little bit better in some respects and others are better in other respects. But the thing that breaks the tie is the sales conversation. So we we came upon this in 2007 and then all the wheels came off in, uh, on the uh, economy. And so we're going to continue studying this idea of customer loyalty. And we kind of pivoted a little bit and we said, well, why don't we go out and do a study of, of what best sellers are doing? Because really, you know, we were as a business in CB sales research, right? And, yeah. and when when the going gets tough and and people are cutting budgets, that's not a thing that people are going to keep as a discretionary <laughs> product. Like, yeah, yeah like meetings yeah. and research. So like, yeah. I can get smart later. <laughs> you know, yeah. right now I'm yeah. right now I'm really just worried about keeping my job and keeping my people gainfully employed. And yeah. so we decided the best thing we could do for our business is actually write a study. We did one big study per year and we, we decided that year in 2008, we we're going to do something about, I think it was something about creating the right sales culture, but we actually ditched that and we pivoted and went and studied salespeople and said, we've got to, we got to really try to crystallize what is it the best sellers are doing? Because if we're going to help our customers sell more in this really tough economy, if we want them to actually keep renewing their subscription with CB, we got to give them some really good stuff around and good insights around what best sellers are doing. Yeah. We were, the research was informed though by that study the year before because we already had this insight that it. yeah it's this kind of the ability to bring insights that really makes you know that's the difference between the first place finisher and the second place finisher in a complex sale and so we brought that to bear and we found was as you know from the research five types of reps and the winning rep the challenger was the rep who brought the new those new insights to the table so we had this study of salespeople and we could draw a straight line to the study we'd done the year before around business customer loyalty and we were like holy cow these things it's we're telling the same story here we kind of we brought them back together, and it was it was funny. I remember the first the first time we presented that research. The way the way we did the research, and we go into a lot more detail in the yeah. in the book. Is we went out to I think the initial study was like six thousand salespeople went out to about a hundred companies. They gave us lists of sellers ranked by performance, and we had the managers of those sellers actually evaluate them on a one to seven scale across like fifty or sixty different attributes. Sure. You know yeah. how good they are at negotiation, how willing they are to risk disapproval, or put forth, you know, go the extra mile, like how goal oriented are they? Are they good at solution selling? You know, do they bring new ideas to the table? Things like that. And we found was that, you know, five types of reps, some of the data washed out as noise, but the yeah. ones, the data that was left over kind of clumped together in five buckets. We came to call those the five profiles of salespeople. And the winning profile, as I said, this challenger profile was the the rep who brought new ideas to the table. And what, the first time we presented it, it was pretty telling. We knew we were onto something because we were sitting in a room in Washington, this was the spring of 2009, and we had we always did this kind of debut, or what we used to call a preview meeting, where we brought some of our longest, you know, longest tenured uh, members into our offices to hear a day long presentation of the research and really poke holes in it and and you know beat it up yeah. and tell us what we got wrong. And these are we're, good friends of ours. Yeah. It totally, exactly, yeah. that's exactly right. And the idea was we we're going to take it out to the rest of the world that some of whom were not as friendly as these guys. <laughs> and so, you know, we we wanted a group of friendly customers who were who were going to give us really candid feedback. And and they did. It was great. And they helped us refine it. But um, there were a couple of big ahas. One was the head of sales uh, of uh, DuPont at this time, a guy named Dan, Dan James, who was one of our kind of guru, longest tenured members. I remember him saying, 
saying we kind of brought back a little bit of this this idea of you know hey it's mostly about how you sell not what you sell and it's an insight based sale and by the way that's what your best salespeople are doing check out this profile analysis we did in this new this emergent profile called the challenger and he said at the time he goes i didn't understand what you guys were talking about last year now i get it and and it like it really illuminated this idea of bringing insight the year before it just sounded kind of theoretical and yeah. it didn't make a lot of sense but when you brought it down to what these best sellers were actually saying and doing in sales conversations the light bulb went off for these heads of sales the other the other great uh, moment was when um Another one of our, our long-term members, a guy named uh, Kevin Hendrick, who uh, was head of sales at ADP uh, Dealer Services at the time. I remember him, uh, he was sitting in the front row and my my co-author, Brent Adamson, was the guy presenting and Kevin was kind of, he was shuffling, like pulling papers out of his, his briefcase during the, pro, like during the big reveal. And we said, yeah. hey, there's this profile, it's called The Challenger, check it out, they win, you know. And Kevin's kind of going through shuffling papers around and Brent says, Kevin, what are you doing? And, and Kevin said, and he, he like kind of slams his hand on the table and he goes, I just looked at my, this is the, my stack ranking as of yesterday of my, my salespeople by goal attainment. And I'm looking at the top people and I just did a quick, like, who's a challenger, who's a relationship. And he's like, now I know why these people, yeah. you know, kick butt and these other people don't. He's yeah. like, I just never had a name for it, but you guys just crystallize it. And so for us, that was like, that was a really eye-opening yeah, moment. Was, the other yeah. thing that the other thing that happened, this was kind of cool too. And and this is I I give the guys who ran this business a lot of credit. We we had a sales consulting group at CEB. It's mostly a research business, but we mm-hmm. had this consult like a services group. Like many of your listeners, right? Uh, we were trying to develop a services component to our sure. business as well. Yeah. And so these guys had always focused on you know uh, time and productivity assessments and and coaching effectiveness engagements and things like that. The guy who ran that business is a guy named uh, Nathan Blaine, who in that meeting that first meeting said, we are going to burn the boats and we're going to rebuild this entire business around Challenger <laughs> off of one meeting, right? Yeah. It was We had no idea, but he was like, this is it. And yeah. after that, it was like, let's write a book about it. We partnered with HBR. We did a blog series around it that really blew up, that fed interest in the book. And then Brent and I spent the next like two or three years traveling around the world, like telling everyone the story. Yeah. And that business really so what, took off. Why, why do you think that is? Like, what, what was it about the way that you yeah. kind of modeled this and framed this that really resonated with folks? I So I, I think, again, I think part of it was luck and I, I think it was, but it was a good time for it. So yeah. I think, you know, you're, you're looking audience. at hungry audience, yeah. right? You're looking at an environment where selling was really tough. And, and later on, it, this wasn't in the book, but you've, you've probably seen us talk about this idea of, you know, the customer buying journey is like yeah. our purchase journey is 57% complete before they talk to a salesperson. Yeah. We actually discovered that after we published Challenger. It was oh, in the really? follow-up book. Yeah. Um, we use it whenever we do you know, keynotes on it now, but, yeah. um, but it helps explain it. So Challenger, it turns out, was less a story about selling into a downturn. It was actually more a story about selling to buyers who are self-educating and who are empowered with information and who are boxing the salesperson out. And that story was one that every, I mean, every salesperson I've ever spoken to, that resonates with them. This idea that I get called in late, I sit down with the customer, they've already decided how I fit into their world, what we can do. And it's really hard to undo that teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, or undo that learning that the customer's already done. And so we, um, I, so I think there was that, So I think it was a systemic thing that customers were learning on their own. Selling was really tough. I think the other thing is a lot of companies were candidly frustrated with the returns they'd gotten from kind of classic solution selling, you know, open-ended needs diagnosis. I think most companies would say my very best salespeople 
were the, the only ones who could ever really master that approach to selling because it's really, really hard. The idea that a salesperson could sit in front of a customer and just by dint of the the incisiveness of their questions, uh, could get the customer to say something that you know they could then hook their value proposition to or customize a solution on the fly is just a really high end skill. Um, certainly, you know our best sell- sellers are very good at that. Uh, and they continue to be very good at that, but it was something that companies really struggled to get everyone to master. And so companies had gone down this solution selling journey and this needs diagnosis journey for a really long time. Yeah. And I think a lot of them were just frustrated with the fact that it's not paying off the way we thought. It's just been a bear to get it up, you know, get it up and running. And then um, I guess the third thing is what I said before that you know we we brought science and data to a function that you know to study a function that a lot of people hadn't studied with science and data before. And most of the most of the other sales books and sales research out there, which are written by people who have you know decades of experience and tons of personal experience in in sales that I don't have, but a lot of them really start from that perspective of. Hey, in my 30 years of sales perform, you know, sales sales experience, here's what worked for me. And now I'm sharing my secrets with you, which is fine, but but it's not a database study. It's sort of an yeah. N of one kind of experience. And it has its place. But I think what we're able to bring is this idea of like, hey, we studied this with data. We're not, we're not salespeople, we're researchers. And then I think the the last thing I would say is the counterintuitive nature of it, the fact that we yeah. said actually it's this profile the challenger, and it's the one who finishes dead last is the relationship builder. And by the way, that's what you're telling everyone to go do yeah. is be a be a better relationship builder. So you couple all those things together and it was a little bit like, you know, that it was it was kind of this moment of moment in time, I think, that created this excitement around this specific piece of research. And then now there's been a lot more work done by other folks. You know, John Doerr and Mike Scholes over at Rain Group have yeah. done a really interesting book around inside selling. You've got the guys at CVI, Tim Reeser and um, and uh, his his colleagues putting out great work around messaging and how you think about, you know, message differentiation. And it's just been, it's there's been this groundswell. There's still a ton of work out there on needs diagnosis and solution selling, of course. Yeah. Um, and we've yeah. always said, this is, this is a little bit like uh, the next tool in the tool belt, right? So it's always your best sellers are going to ha- are going to be really good at needs diagnosis, yeah, yeah. but what's next? You know, we're not telling them to ditch what what got them there, but we're telling them they need to add a new set of skills to get them to the next level. So yeah, I think it was all those things true. that kind of yeah. And I, I love the irony that in order to increase your sales, you focus on sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's kind of a meta. Well, a meta. Yeah, on it's, the whole funny. Thing as well. it's funny because we had never. It was the sales practice at CB was founded in like '97, I think, and and from '97 till 2007 or 2008 had actually never studied salespeople, which is kind of interesting. And I think it was always we'd always looked at that and said, we're going to study issues of, uh, you know, sales coverage or channel partner uh, management or key account uh, strategy, uh, customer segmentation. And we always tried to stay at a very strategic level. And I think we found was, and we were always a little bit uh, antsy about studying salespeople because there's so much out there on mm-hmm. on salespeople, right? And we just didn't know what we could add. Uh, and we kind of were forced into it and it, it worked out pretty well. But you know, it was it, it was not necessarily our our, our bread and butter, right? you know, up until that point. Since then, that's just that's what the, the sales practice and that gardener, that's what the sales practice continues to study is. You know, one year they're studying salespeople, next year they're studying sales managers, next year they're studying customers, and they go back to salespeople again. Yeah. So we've realized that that's you know, at the end of the day, that's that's what heads of sales want to know about is what do my best salespeople do, and how are my customers changing the way that they buy, and how do we adapt to that? So yeah, and I think it's true. I think the one of the the nice things or the really effective things that I found about challenge. Is that it does it, it gives you much more of a tool set to to identify 
uh, out of the people that I have or the people that I'm thinking about hiring, right. how can I identify future potential performance based on on this model? But it also is I like it because it's a it's kind of a manageable, trainable, developable skill. Like you can mm-hmm. taking this approach and thinking through how I'm going to build a sales organization. It gives me some tools that actually allow me to do that. Versus, and we can step through the the, the different types in a minute. But I think the you know the lone wolf kind of model has always been super yeah. effective, and I think everyone's been out there looking for you know just that master salesperson who can yeah, come in yeah. and he or she can you know just like all of a sudden make it rain, and you don't know exactly what they're doing, and they show up late one day with you know six orders, and you know it's just it's great but it's not something that I can build an organization around. It's not something that I can manage. And I think yeah. the challenger model gives me a lot more tools as, a, as an organizational sort of strategist and designer is figuring out how to really create sales that way. But why don't we walk through this, the types just for sure. those people that are not super familiar with the, with the research and the five types. Walk us through those and then let's talk about the challenger in a little more detail. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we uh, five types of sellers. We, um, we always are careful to make sure that people think about these in terms of um, kind of college major. Right, so they're not mutually exclusive. There's a lot of bleed, and and the important thing, this is, there's an important message here for salespeople, which is you might, when I go through these, you might say, oh, I'm a hard worker or I'm a relationship builder. I'm not a challenger. But what we found is across all the the people in our study, and as as that we continue to, you know, we did more consulting with companies, we collected more data, and we continued to validate the model. I think when I left CB, there was data on a quarter million salespeople, wow. and we found that every single one of them could be statistically placed into one of these five profiles. But the important point is. Nobody's 100% of yeah. one profile. They, they've got elements of the other four. Yeah. And so for salespeople, that's good news, right? It's I've got a little bit of challenger in me. And what you're telling me to your point before is let's up the levels on challenger. Let's let's exercise that muscle. We've gotten really good at being a relationship builder. Now let's exercise this other muscle set. And those two together is, is going to be a really powerful combination. So it's a... It doesn't come across, I think, to salespeople. Hopefully, sometimes I guess it does, but uh, but we try to avoid this as a personality-based yeah, thing, yeah. Uh, but more a learnable thing. So the five types are hard workers. Uh, they're very focused on uh, kind of you know get a lot of deals in the top of the funnel, execute against the sales process, uh, and I should hit my number by the end of the year. It's, it's sort of a throughput management approach to sales or mechanistic approach to sales. Yeah. You know, they place more more phone calls and answer more emails than, than anybody else on the team. Uh, you've got your challengers and. Challengers Challengers are kind of the uh, sharp-elbowed, opinionated know-it-alls of the team. They, they're always up for a good debate. They like debating their colleagues, their manager, the yeah. senior leadership at the team, the product organization. You know, um, they they like to get into debates with the customer too. They live for it. Actually, uh, they love that moment where you know they convince the customer that they're doing it wrong and that they they need to think about things differently. You've got relationship builders. These are not really. I don't want. I'd be careful because we've been accused. I think of creating kind of a straw person argument here, but we don't mean sort of the glad-handing sycophant or the yeah. five martini lunch or the round of golf. We're talking about really salespeople who are very good at doing what what we've taught salespeople to do for at least the last 30 years, which is go in, uh, diagnose the customer's needs and address those needs. Um, so it's a much, it's a very reactive posture. It's a very it's kind of servant-based posture that these uh, these relationship builders take. You've got your lone wolves. Uh, lone wolves are the, as we say, the prima donnas of the sales organization. They don't follow your sales process. They don't use the marketing materials that you invested in creating. They they sell stuff that your company doesn't even make, and then they ask for forgiveness later. And you know what we find in the results is there's a selection bias because the people who ignore the rules and miss their number are usually shown the exits or told yeah. to get in line, and they get in line or or they're they're forced out. It's the people who ignore the rules and kill their number. Yeah, that we exactly. let them get away with it. Unless you're, if you're in a regulated business, you probably wouldn't like med devices, pharma, or or financial services. You wouldn't see this, but 
everywhere else you do find a lot of lone wolves in the high performer population because you know we were they make it rain to your yeah. point before yeah. then you got your problem solvers problem solvers are sort of more of a customer service rep in salesperson's clothing they're more focused on post deal execution than getting the next deal signed so they you know customers love that posture they love that the person who sold them the solution or the service is going to be there to make sure that it gets delivered in the right way and delivers the value to the customer sales managers would prefer that the salesperson hand that off to somebody else in the company yep. and they get back to selling the next deal in the funnel. So yeah, so those are the five types. Got it. And I think hopefully people are kind of thinking through their teams or even yeah, their own yeah. selves and kind of figuring out. And, and I think your point is is really important. I'm not sure we, when we originally kind of start, started talking about it, it may have come across the wrong way, but they, these are not fundamentally the the personality types. It's rather kind of the, the skills or approach or frame that, you know, you kind of have and that you can kind of adjust and change this, you know, through coaching and training and, you know, like, and that's why I say that this, this is a great framework for, you know, people that are looking to, develop their sales organization because it gives them yeah. some tools to yeah. to do that. What are some of the things if, if companies are trying to or looking at training around this, what are the types of things companies can do to accentuate or to help people behave, interact, you know, use the challenge or strategy mm-hmm. more than some of the other ones? Like what, what does that process look like? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think to your point, it really can't be overemphasized that this is, this definitely is a learnable uh, set of skills. It doesn't mean that everyone can or will learn it, but it's not unlike anything else. I mean, you're going to have some people who opt out of the journey, but we've always found, you know, companies who are committed to this, they see about a 70 to 80% success rate in getting people to up the levels of challengerness in their sales approach, or at least, you know, play the, even if they're not a natural born challenger, play the role of the challenger when, when called upon to do so yeah. uh, in a customer situation, the people who don't make it. It's, it's usually reasons of, of will, not skill. They just say, "Hey, I'm, you know, what got me here? I'm I'm comfortable selling this way, and I just kind of organ reject this idea of you know creating tension in the customer relationship and in challenging customer thinking. I don't, you know, I'm more of this kind of seller, and I'm going to go somewhere where they're going to value that that sales approach and you know, and so they'll leave. Yeah. Um, but um, we found in terms of developing the skills, there's, there's a few key parts. One is to remember that challenger, these, some of these skills, when we talk about challengers in the book, the skills of the challenger, the three the three key skills are uh, teaching, so bringing new insights to the table, uh, tailoring those insights, because as we know, selling services today, uh, selling complex uh, solutions yeah. to customers, it's a game of herding cats, right? So you're not selling to one stakeholder, you're selling across the organization, all up and down the organization as well. So you got even if you have a great provocative idea, you got to use that idea um, and apply it in different ways to different stakeholders. And then lastly, we talk about the challenger as uh, being assertive or that they take control. And really the idea there is that they're not obnoxious or aggressive or you know rude people. We call that the uh, the sixth profile, the jerk, and that's not really focus on. And we would never advocate for that, you know. But yeah. the, but these folks are they're assertive and they you know they create yeah. they purposefully create tension at key moments in the sale. They they get the customer to squint to 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 lean forward to you know furrow their brow and yeah. say I never heard of it that way before or maybe I don't even agree with what you're saying. Let's get into it a little bit and talk about whether your idea has merit to my business. But they create that engagement, but they do so by actually creating some positive or constructive tension in the dialogue. So the first thing you you would assume or you would maybe conclude, if you look at those skills, teaching, tailoring, taking control, or being assertive, those are not things that you learn in a you know a one day training session. Uh, or you know it's not the same as you know if 
you and I were going to be trained on Salesforce or we're going to be trained on Marketo or yeah, you know exactly. any a number of systems, or if, if we're going to be trained on a new product or a new comp plan or something like that, or even a new sales process, uh, those are things that are kind of rote. These are very nuanced behaviors. And so what we always say is you, you can expose people to it in the classroom, but they're not going to learn how to get good at it in the classroom. So the second piece is the importance of coaching uh, and manager-led development or leader-led development. Yeah, you know, to get good at this stuff and to get comfortable with with the idea of creating tension in the sales conversation takes a manager who a knows how to coach. And and I think the truth is most sales leaders and sales managers confuse coaching with performance management, and they're two yeah. different things. So yeah. one, they know how to coach, and two, they know what to coach too. So they they themselves can demonstrate and really understand at a deep level this idea of teaching, tailoring, and taking control. What that looks and sounds like what it what it is what it isn't how to practice it in a safe way how to get good at it learn from your mistakes etc so coaching is absolutely critical in the challenger business and this, this actually um as an aside yeah. uh, that business was sold by gardner actually last year so it's a, an independent company now called challenger inc uh, and what those guys will always tell clients who are going down this path is that the best thing to do is first expose your managers to Challenger, get them really, have them go through the training, get them like drinking the Kool-Aid, get them ready. And by the way, make sure that they understand what good coaching looks and sounds like and then how to coach those Challenger behaviors. Because when you send those reps to training, uh, which you're going to want to do after you get the managers exposed, you need those managers ready to catch them as they come out of training and work with them to get better at those skills. The third piece I would say and this is absolutely critical, and, and we've seen this is the probably the biggest failure point we see with Challenger is that Challenger itself is a as much an organizational capability as it yeah. is an individual skill. So yeah, exactly. it, what I mean by that is if you're going to go out and challenge customers with new insights, if you don't have something to challenge with, then you're actually just annoying. You're not challenging. And so in order to teach, tailor, and take control effectively, you've got to have a really good insight and in the book, we talk a lot about what a great insight uh, sounds like. How How is it put together in a literally in a pitch deck uh, for a customer? How's that conversation unfold? What are you looking for from the yeah. customer? What cues, what responses? But the job of creating that stuff is usually the job of marketing, sales leadership, product. And it's the job of the company to build that stuff. And so one of the other things that the folks at Challenger Inc. would tell you, if you really want to do this right, get your managers on board, get them, you know, comfortable, you know, teach them how to coach and then uh, get them comfortable with the idea of challenger and ready to catch those reps as they come out of training. But more importantly, get marketing in the organization busy building those insights because what really makes that training rock for the reps is when it's about your insight, yeah. not about some generic insight. Yeah. So, and, and if you don't give them that stuff, you, you know, this whole thing could fall flat. I mean, I, I still get asked a lot to come out and, and speak about challenger. And I always caution people. I say, look, it's, just so you know, it's um, I like to think I'm entertaining, but it's not entertainment. So I'm going to I'm going to leave. And when I leave, all of your people are going to ask you, hey, when am I getting trained on that? And by the way, that guy told me that having insights is really important. And I'm looking at my pitch deck right now. It's not very insightful. It's all it leads with what makes us unique. It doesn't lead to what makes us unique. It's very generic. It makes us sound exactly like our competitors. So when is marketing going to fix us? And so what you have happen is the sales force puts a lot of pressure on the organization to act. And so I always tell people like, bring me on and, and have me speak about it when you're ready to to light this candle and go. But 
it's if you want somebody who's just going to you know mo- motivate people and entertain folks, like there's lots of people who can do that. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, I agree. I've seen I've seen it happen so many times that you've kind of gotten yeah. on the sales side and you sort of train the salespeople on this process and and kind of the way to do this, but then there's no system and there's no data, there's no insight, there's no yeah. materials that they can actually use. So now they're they're falling flat because they just they might be able to execute the moves, but they don't have the materials to actually make those moves right. stick and and be impactful for the actual sales process. So no, this is great. And I think folks that are listening, you know, that have been struggling with sales, great book, great process, highly recommend kind of digging into it and understanding how this works. And and I think certainly if you're dealing with a fairly complex sales, which I, I think all mm-hmm. service all service sales <laughs> are oh, yeah. complex yeah. And, and at some level, this is a great way to to create some structure and create some strategies around how do you actually sell and how do you train people to sell effectively. So um, so uh, why don't we talk a little bit about what you're doing now? Because I know you're you're at Tether now. What give us a sense of how you've kind of transitioned, what parts of yeah. um, your background are you using? What are you focused on now as product development? Sure. Yeah. So I uh, work at a company called Tether. We are an AI-based voice analytics company. We're based out of Austin, Texas. Although in in, uh, in all fairness, I think I actually, uh, my home is like C3C <laughs> or whatever, you know, on, on whatever United flight is <laughs> traversing the country. Uh, so um, what we do as a company is um, we help organizations basically mine their existing voice of customer data. So by that, I mean the recorded uh, phone conversations, what, you know, call center based phone conversations, chat and email interactions, um, WebEx, Zoom, go to meetings, Skype uh, calls that you might have as a salesperson with a customer, all this data that companies are recording their conversational data with their customers, we help them mine that for insights. So a couple of use cases, we we work with a lot of call centers uh, mm-hmm. to help them improve productivity and improve the customer experience by reducing the level of friction and effort in the call center interaction. And as you know, call centers are very good at creating a lot of friction yeah. and effort. Yeah. Uh, and so we help them mine those and, and understand what are the things that are driving escalations, driving customer frustration, getting customers to threaten to call the Better Business Bureau and fire off nasty tweets yeah. and understand those things so they can coach and train their folks on eliminating them. We work with a big global uh, trading desk, uh, commodities trading desk, and they, they use our product to actually do compliance at scale. So they've oh, got a yeah. team. Yeah, they've got several thousand traders around the world and, and they've got a team of a few dozen compliance managers who kind of spot check calls to make sure traders are not engaged in bad behavior. That's going to get the company in trouble and yeah. put customers at risk. Yeah. And so we can, we've actually taught a machine to go and basically listen at scale for all of the bad behaviors and then surface up the bad stuff to the good people so they yeah. can take action on it. Uh, we work with some product organizations where they are kind of... Uh, moving away from or trying to move away from surveys, which is the primary way they get feedback on their products. Yeah. Uh, and now they've real, realized that you know a lot of the product, the rich product feedback is actually coming in through the call center. And so with work with CX leaders and product leaders to mine that voice of customer data to get feedback on products and value proposition and pricing and, and messaging and, and marketing campaigns. And then in, in sales, you know, we're doing work with uh, uh, companies who are I think what we found is is more and more companies are selling over the phone or or over WebEx or GoToMeeting or Zoom or Skype. You know, it's sales is coming inside. Even you know, there's inside sales, but everyone's really an inside salesperson. Even field yeah. salespeople are kind of inside yeah. salespeople. So most of the selling effort is actually happening virtually. A lot of companies are recording those interactions and they're not doing a whole lot with it. I mean, 
You might have managers go back and listen to a call from time to time for coaching purposes, but there is a ton of data trapped in those uh, calls. Yeah. So what we do is we we will go in and, and work with a B2B sales organization. Maybe they have a, you know, a hundred reps or something and, and they say, well, why is it that these 20 reps are, you know, kicking butt, but these other folks are kind of lagging and, and what is it that they're doing specifically? How are they positioning our product? How are they handling customer objections? What's the timing of the call? How does it unfold? How are they using the insights uh, that we created? Are they using the insights? we created if yeah, we're going exactly. down the challenge path. Are yeah. we are they even using the sales training that they've been trained on? And yeah. and that's you know that's been a, a real pain for sales leaders for a long time is being able to quantify sure. the returns on transformation, on training, on uh, new collateral, on you know uh, pricing and, and so on and so forth. And we can kind of demystify a lot of these things and say, okay, of your 100 reps, here are the ones who are actually using the skills that they were trained on six months ago. Here are the ones who are not. Here are the ones who are trying but struggling. And by the way, this, these insights you built, they aren't really resonating with the customer because you're yeah, getting this exactly. kind of feedback. Yeah. You know, or, or they, you guys all think your competitor is company A. It's really company B. That's the one that's coming up more often. Yeah. Or you know, it, it really it, it takes a lot of the, um, the gut instinct uh, kind of out of sales and brings more data to bear. So it's fun. It's fun work for a researcher. It's it's cool because it's for me. You know, we yeah, wrote Challenger off that. of off of surveys, and this yeah. is like you know the next step of going to raw conversations. Yeah. is sort of the the next uh, frontier in, yeah. in sales research. Yeah. So. After this, you'll have to have like scanners on people's brains and looking at their <laughs> no, brain no. waves and yeah. seeing what the feedback I, I, is. I, I joke. Yeah, I would joke, but I think it's probably coming at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. yeah. But this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more information about any of the stuff we've talked about today, and I know we've talked about quite a bit, what what, what are some of the good resources or what are some ways to get more information? Yeah. So uh, a couple of things. One is um, I always uh, make an offer to people to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, if they if they like, it's um, uh, Matt Dixon, uh, D-I-X-O-N. Uh, feel free to shoot me a LinkedIn invitation uh, if you have questions or you want to just uh, follow up or just be connected. I uh, always encourage people to do that. Uh, sometimes these these things can just leave people confused at a higher level. Um, and so I say, follow up if you have questions and let's keep the dialogue going. And then if you'd like to learn more about uh, Tether, um, our company is at tether.com. And that's because we're a startup. Uh, we, we misspell it uh, on purpose because that's what that's what startups do. We, we didn't buy the extra vowel. So it's uh, T-E-T-H-R. Uh, so like Tether, but without the last E, uh, dot com. And again, we're, we're based in Austin, Texas. and love to tell you more about uh, the work we're doing. Cool. I will, I will make sure both of those links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Matt, this has been a pleasure. Cool. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. It's been a really fun conversation. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.